all right, look, I'm no clairvoyant, I'm no psychic, and I can't see the future. So when my publisher and I decided on a release date for my book Malro and the Midnight Organ Fight, we thought June 10th was a great time to get it out there. Why? Well, because the book is set in the summer, and we thought it'd be cool for kids to read it during the time it takes place. What we didn't know? That there would be a pandemic, political unrest, protests over police brutality, and a massive, and frankly long overdue, cultural discussion on race. Needless to say, it's been quite a year, and we're not even halfway done with it. And frankly, I don't even know if it's done with us. What I'm trying to say is that it feels stupid to be peddling my wares right now. It feels tone deaf in the wake of the pressing current cultural moments that we're facing to be pushing a book. So here's the thing. If you want a diversion from what's going on out there, read my book. If you don't, then don't. It's okay. Uh, What is the book about? Well, it's a young adult novel about two teen detectives trying to solve a series of crimes one summer in San Francisco. It's fast, it's fun, it's like Sherlock Holmes meets Rick and Morty. You'll finish it in an afternoon. If you're interested in reading it, order it from your local indie bookstore. They could use your help. The world is a mess, I know that. And we have a long way to go before it isn't, I know that too. But music and books and movies have always been my life preservers. And if they are for you too, then just know there is one more out there that can maybe keep you afloat should you need the help. I'm Alex Green. And this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. is the music of my guest today on the program, Katie Malko. Let me tell you a little bit about Katie Malko. The Telecaster has two sounds, Jimi Hendrix once said, the good one and the bad one. Now, I'm no guitar player, but I feel pretty comfortable saying that Katie Malko plays the good one. Armed with her trusty Telecaster, Katie Malko is a revelation. The Scottish-born, Northampton-raised singer-songwriter first showed up on the radar with her riveting Tearing Ventricles EP back in 2013. And since then, she's toured with everyone from Jenny Lewis to Bob Mould to Kevin Devine. Her album Failures is one of the most arresting debut albums I've ever heard. Falling somewhere between Warpaint and Kathleen Edwards, Failures is a soaring blast of sheer indie rock bliss. From the aching swoon of animals to the wistful strains of fractures to the open-wounded beauty of the album-closing number The First Snow, Failures is raw, nervy, and altogether beautiful. It's stark, it's tender, and it's deeply, deeply affecting. This is a great chat. Katie is the coolest. I can't wait for you to meet her. And she plays guitar upside down. 
I'll let her tell you all about that. Here's me and Katie Malco having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. about someone had set up like a they'd like printed out a picture of themselves like a student because they couldn't tell the teacher couldn't tell and they just left that like put it on like a dummy and like put it in front of the camera and went off and played computer or something right that, that's I, I i literally can't tell and and then they can always say things like oh i had mic problems or something and you go oh okay fuck it i guess that's probably true <laughs> that's so funny I think so, I would definitely try that if I was a student. <laughs> yeah, I know. I Well, I probably would too. But since you're here, you're already my best student. So you're actually Yay. here. <laughs> um, how are you? I'm fine, actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in isolation on my own, but I, I've kind of not found a minute to stop and feel lonely yet. I've been really busy. So actually, it's all kind of gone by quite quickly so far. I mean, that, I guess we're not really in the proper thick of it yet. Like, I think it's the worst is probably to come. So we'll see how I get on then. But at the moment, I'm all right. What about you? I'm doing okay. I'm here in just outside of Berkeley, California. Um, nice. And you are in what city? I'm in Northampton, which is like a town in the Midlands. Yeah, yeah. It's, if you what you know it, you know. I do. Yeah, some of my favorite bands are from Northampton. No. Who? So, like, uh, I'm a lot older than you, but like, the Jazz Butcher Conspiracy is from Northampton. So, oh my God, Pat Fish. Pat Fish. Do you know Pat? Yeah, that's yeah, mad. So I, I didn't know he was like famous. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's famous in my heart. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. a great guy. Have you actually played with him, or how do you know him? Just Northampton's just really small. And if you're a musician, you definitely know all the other musicians. So he plays like, he does his own stuff just around pubs and stuff in the, in town. So I see him all the time. He's great. You're, you're a fan. Well, I th yeah. Like he's like, what he does is really good. Like his, like his own thing is amazing as well, but I've never listened to the uh, thing he said, I don't think. Yeah, because that was like is that like his old band? Yeah, so the Jazz Butcher uh, it started as a Jazz Butcher conspiracy, and then they sort of shed the conspiracy part. But right. um, you can't go wrong with anything they did, and of course, of course, Bauhaus are from Northampton. Oh, of course, yes, yes right. Yeah, so, I don't know any of them, but I knew someone that was married to someone in that band. Like she was just someone at the pub. <laughs> Everyone's just someone at the pub here in Northampton <laughs> but she was married to someone in that band I think but I never met anyone from the band there's a do you remember I mean I, I don't remember but there's a band called Bad Manners yeah sure they're from here and they're always in the pub as well <laughs> yeah they were like we're like so like a um one of those like kind of oi ska punk bands yeah yeah yeah, they were um, like yeah, bad manners. And yeah, so I mean, when you were growing up, were you sort of aware of Northampton's music lineage, or were you not really thinking about that? No, I didn't know anything about any of those bands. <laughs> um, <laughs> not at all. Uh, I mean, not until I started going to the pub. <laughs> They're all in the pub, I promise you. 
<laughs> every last one of them. Um, everyone here is just at the pub all the time. So um, basically, yeah, I didn't, as I was, when I was growing up, like younger, I didn't know any of these bands. And then I guess just got to know them through just knowing people in town. Otherwise, maybe I wouldn't, I don't know. But it's quite a small town, so it's a bit insane how much music comes out of it, really. Yeah. Do you think that the that sort of the landscape of the city informs the music that you write? Um, that I write, maybe in men, in some ways, like just in, I think. In, on, yeah, I mean, maybe in some ways there's some songs. I, mean, I lived in London for a few years and there's like songs on the album that relate to, like there's one called Peckham, which is where I used to live in London. Um, and there's a few sort of references to living there. Um, and there's tune I released, um, la not the one that came out on Friday, uh, Thursday, but the one Last Animal, that's relating to all just being in Northampton and being very drunk to be honest, because Northampton's a funny old place, to be honest with you. I'm not exaggerating when I say everyone is just at the pub. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not even, like, I'm joking, but I'm also not. But, um, yeah, that tune kind of, I guess, is a bit, of, well, it's about living living here um, and that, like, growing up here and stuff, but not so much about, like, things relating to Northampton that someone live, living here would know oh yeah I know what you're talking about there it's more about an inward like reflection I suppose but but the context is that I was here growing up and with a bunch of friends that were here that yeah yeah so I guess so in some ways and is are do your parents come from Northampton is it generations of Northampton raised people in your family no we're all from Scotland um I was born in Fife in Scotland and uh, I, we moved down here when I was seven, um, which is why I have a bit of a weird accent now. But like every, all of my family have Scottish accent. They're all from like uh, Edinburgh and Musselburgh, which is near Edinburgh. Um, so yeah, so it's, we, we're the first ones that moved to England, um, much to the distress of most of our family because Scottish people hate English people. <laughs> <laughs> And now the three of us, me and my brother and sister, will have English accents and we're very outcast from the rest of the family. <laughs> They're always yeah. complaining about English people to us. <laughs> do you do you still feel a deep connection to Scotland? Yeah, massively. I think when you're raised when you're raised Scottish, so I was raised by a whole Scottish family who, you know, they were not I think you, it's it's a, it's a very different way of thinking to a lot of sort of English families. I think it's generally the North. It's it's very different. I guess the same in America, but it's very different to the to down here. All, even though we're not that South, like we're in the Midlands, but um, it's in like it's hard to explain. But there's things that a Scottish person would sort of think to do, or like with a way they would behave socially that kind of doesn't that an English person might not, and it's very subtle but when you know it and you, when you're raised to be as a, by Scottish people you really see those little things um and also just like Scottish people are very proud and very patriotic and I remember growing up here 
and um if uh, someone took the piss out of our accent because we all had scottish accents if someone took the piss out of it you know like mum mum and dad would be like don't stand for that you know like very sort of protective of being scottish <laughs> it's weird and they were really sad that we started to lose our accents and stuff like it's very they're very it's it's just very ingrained culturally like to um protect being scottish and to like even now i say i'm scottish because i was raised that way like it's it's really abhorrent to be english if you're scottish <laughs> right well if you if you spend four days in glasgow does your accent get stronger mm, not really it more like if i sp if i'm sp going to spend time with my family up there i think my the intonation of my accent changes slightly but it kind of reverts back to just like not the accent as such but just the way i'll intonate like um it'll kind of it would kind of, you kind of just slip back into it which is weird because obviously i don't do it so much with mom and dad but i guess it's a weird sort of maybe a mimicking thing but to feel a bit more comfortable because you know that they hate English people. <laughs> <laughs> hate is a strong word, but it's just, there's the old grudge. I don't know if you know about the old grudge. You've seen Braveheart, right? <laughs> of course, yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's uh, the old grudge. <laughs> yeah. I think the original title of that film was The Old Grudge. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. It should have been. Then people would have thought it was that Japanese horror film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there a part of you that thinks that that years from now you might actually go back and live in Scotland or is that something that you have even thought about yeah actually it's funny you should say it because recently I was I've been thinking about it um basically I've because I, I was in London for a few years and then moved back to Northampton temporarily I've kind of been here now a couple of years and I, the plan was to I was with my partner and the plan was that we were going to move back to London. We just had to sort ourselves out for a bit because he, he was made redundant and stuff. Um, we were going to move back to London and then we kind of decided we just couldn't really face moving back to London. It wasn't really for us and we didn't really want to. Um, and then we talked about moving to Glasgow um, and it was sort of an idea that we were floating. And then he and I broke up like uh, end of last year. Um, and I was like, oh, well, now I wonder what I'm going to do. Like, um, and then the, when this coronavirus thing all kicked in, um, I lost quite a bit of work. Um, and it kind of felt like, well, now is like I'm going to have to apply for a job. Where, and there's no work in Northampton. There's nothing. Like, there's stuff that I probably can't really... Like, I could, if I wanted to work at the pub, fine. But um, I think like in terms of like a job I might do I don't think there's really anything here so it has thrown that question back up in the air again like whether I like might move up there and sort of start again like once coronavirus sort of blows over um so yeah I think it's, it's actually quite a big possibility and it's much cheaper to live there as well and I have family nearby it kind of makes a lot of sense you know as we're talking it out, it seems like it's a good move. Yeah, I feel like I'm organizing the, the thoughts of it on this, like speaking to you now. 
yeah. I'm like, fun. <laughs> I feel like I'm your life coach right now. Yeah. Is, is this online therapy? Great. <laughs> I need them. <laughs> I mean, there is, there has to be a little bit of anxiety though about, I mean, the fact that a, rev, a great revenue stream for a musician is perhaps the greatest revenue stream is live music. Yeah. And, you know, right now you can't do that. And so is there, is there, are you feeling tension and anxiety around that particular topic? Yeah, I'm feeling tension around everything because all of my jobs relate to music and um, a lot of it has dried up. So um, I don't know how it will recover or what will happen. Um, And yeah, like I had tours booked in around the album. There was like, I was supposed to come over for South by Southwest. Um, I was supposed to play a bunch of festivals here in the summer and it just feels I mean not even about money but just about promoting the album feels like a bit bit shit really but at the same time we're all in the same boat and that right. kind of weirdly makes it slightly better like it doesn't feel like too much like missing out in terms of because everyone's every this is happening to everybody um but it it does sort of yeah anxiety sets in in terms of like when am I gonna make money again? Yeah, for sure. But at the end of the day, I suppose like I can just get any job really. I could just go and work any at the cafe next door or something if I have to, or do anything. Like it'll be fine. Um, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, was was there a little bit of worry that there there you know momentum wise before you know going into the release of the album because the album comes out in June, correct? Yeah. Yeah, and so is there a little bit of worry that there's no momentum going to that release? And had you talked about even postponing it, or did you think, oh, just fuck it, I'll just put it out? Yeah, so we, we kind of, I mean, it wasn't a massive question about postponing it, really, because I kind of was of the fuck it, let's put it out attitude, particularly because we'd pushed it back a few times for various reasons, and it just felt like the wrong thing to push. I just didn't, as well, like, to me, it just feels like all like oh, we're all in, we're all locked inside, and and everyone's pushing their music back. That's so shit. Like, like yeah, we can't tour, but it's like horrible to not have any new music for months. That sounds terrible to me. So I just felt like I'd push on regardless. And yeah, it's a shame I can't like promote it in person straight away. But at least like people can live with the music, and hopefully have a few months to just absorb it before I can play shows. And um, that's fine by me, really. Like, I, I think there's going to be a huge saturation point as well when like, this is lifted, if this is lifted and everyone starts releasing again. Um, so I kind of just thought, oh, I'll just avoid this rat race and I'll just do what I was doing anyway and crack on. Like, And also, if there's a time for me to focus on it, it's now, like, like not I don't have I literally don't have any other sort of things on the go now so I can really just focus on pushing it out in like the most creative way I can think in this situation um so yeah I'm not too worried I suppose I don't know are are, is there also a part of you right now that is also getting really creative because you have so much time are you writing a lot of new material yeah 
Um, I've been, I've got a, like a little recording project on the go for something relating to the album that will hopefully, um, hopefully be finished while we're in lockdown and that might help things later, later on, like just some like fun versions of things and stuff. Um, so I've been concentrating on that and I've been writing loads um, and just doing stuff like packing up orders and um doing like like i've come up with a few ideas to like for um online like for some stream stuff that'll hopefully roll out um over the next couple of months or so um and it's been like kind of nice to just actually for once fully immerse myself in that for like weeks on end and not be thinking about other ways that i have to like get money in the door um even though there, like, there's not a lot of support or anything re really here, but I've managed to get like a break from paying um, like rent and stuff for a bit. So I don't have any money, but I don't have any outgoings. I'm just not spending any money and I'm just trying to have some belief that it will work out. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, I've started thinking like, like I'm going to cook something that will last me four days. So I won't have to even think about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what right. do you cook? Yeah. I cooked like a, um, I made like a, like a bean uh, stew. Lovely. Right. And um, cause I'm a vegetarian. So I thought, oh, I'll make this like bean, a vegetable bean stew. Um, yeah. And I was like, oh, I'll have this for like a couple of nights. I don't have to go to the store. I don't have to go. To... So you start thinking, like, I never used to think yeah. like that. <laughs> you know, I didn't care. I mean, I'll get some Indian food tonight. I'll get this tomorrow. Maybe I'll grab that. I just thought by the day, but now I'm thinking like, you know, days in advance. Yeah, definitely. And also, you, I guess you have a bit more time to like cook a extravagant meal. Right, right. I still don't cook extravagant meals, even in lockdown. I'm still just eating yogurt and toast. <laughs> <laughs> are you, when, when you are on stage, you, you obviously you've, you've played with some like amazing people. Um, so you've, you've yeah. done a lot. You, you've definitely like cut your teeth playing live. You've been out there are you really comfortable on stage or does it does it terrify you in a certain way um it does terrify me especially i mean i played with um jenny lewis and it was a sold out show um and it was like she's one of my heroes um and i had to i had a friend with me um and I couldn't speak to her for the for an hour before I went on st on stage. I just couldn't speak. Like I just <laughs> just stopped being able to function as a working human <laughs> for an hour before. And then the minute I, when I got up there and I like got, I have to get through the first few lines, and they'll probably come out a little bit shaky, and I'll be singing like this. And then halfway through the first song I just kind of get into the flow of it and I forget and it's fine and then I'm totally comfortable and I find often for me like having a laugh with the audience in between like so if I can finish that first song and get over that hurdle and then say something that the audience might laugh at then I feel so much more relaxed like I feel like they're on side like that it's not me versus them and then I can just get on with it and I don't feel nervous anymore but I often, I, I do always have a bit of a freak out at bigger shows in the lead up to playing. And they're saying, I supported Julian Baker at um, Union Chapel. It was sold out, it was like a thousand people. And it was the biggest show I think I'd played up to that point. And 
honestly, I had, I have IBS and it was really bad. <laughs> and I felt really bad to her because we were sharing a dressing room. <laughs> but she, she understood, luckily. A crumbled mountains under my Let's just say that you're opening for 
Jenny Lewis. Do you interact with Jenny Lewis on, in any way? Well, I didn't think that we would, but our dressing rooms were next to each other. And then um, she came and knocked on the dressing room after the show and we had a really nice chat. I, I couldn't get my words out at all. I sounded like a bumbling idiot. Um, and she was like, oh, I heard you um, uh, warming up your voice earlier and I was warming up with you next door. And I was like, oh, that's the coolest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> and I was I was just so like overwhelmed by her presence she was like wearing this glittery I don't know if you've seen any of her most recent like shows or anything but she wears this like glittery like really tight dress with like fluffy cuffs and she looks incredible and she's just like this vision like this sparkling angel and I was just <laughs> wearing like a hoodie I felt like such a, such a tramp <laughs> like, all right mate and I've got like this accent that she's just like is really eloquent and really clever and just looked amazing it was it was like walking into a film or something it was bizarre it's, it's so risky years, you know. but like what a risky moment though to meet somebody who you really admire and it can go either way I mean if she was particularly awful that would have been yeah. crushing. Um, the fact that she was lovely just makes you love her even more. Oh yeah, she was amazing. Uh, like she didn't have to come and speak to me either. Right. But yeah, she just wanted to say say thanks. It was like a one show. It wasn't like I was on tour with her. But she we had like a quite a like lengthy conversation. Oh, my friend that I told you about <laughs> that was with me. She she's such a huge fan as well. And um, she was when she heard like Jenny coming to knock on, like Jenny was knocking on the door. She hid in the toilet of the dressing room. She was like, no, I can't meet her, I'm too, too nervous. And she hid in the toilet. And I was like, oh, you're gonna regret this later. So I was open doors talking to Jenny and, um, and her really amazing guitarist, this woman called Emily, she's amazing. I was talking to them, I was like, oh, my friend's here. She's just in the loo. If I thought if I said that, then she would have to come out of the loo. Like she'd hear me say that, she'd be like, okay, I can't just hide in the loo because she's told Jenny Lewis that I'm in the loo and she still didn't come out and Jenny Lewis and Emily were talking to, we were talking for like half an hour and she never came out of the loo <laughs> and like 20 minutes into the conversation Emily was like is your friend okay <laughs> I was like I think so I don't think she's coming out of the toilet I was so embarrassed <laughs> I mean, your friend completely missed her cue yeah that was her cue. I was just like, no, you're going to regret not meeting Jenny Lewis. So I'm going to just say you're in the toilet. So you have to come out. And she still didn't come out. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> oh my God. Well, you know, it's funny when I, I'm 49 now, but when I turned 18 on my 18th birthday, I was doing high school radio and mm. I had a phone interview with Pat Fish and oh, really? he was my hero. And I, I cut school and I went home to talk to him and he was oh. the loveliest. And I, I remember thinking to myself, what if he had been terrible? Like, I think my life would have been destroyed. But he was so yeah. nice and so gracious and sweet to a young teenager who just in California who adored him. And I've never forgotten that. And I don't think you'll ever forget Jenny Lewis knocking on your door. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think it's just, yeah, it's one of those things that sticks with you. I can't believe it. That, you know, Pat Fish is so funny. So yeah. just in the world. I know. I I know. And, him. That's crazy. Well, here's the funny thing is that the saxophone player for the Jazz Butcher is the same name as me. So a lot really? of times people will send me notes saying, 
uh, hey, are you still playing sax for the Jazz Butcher? <laughs> I'm like, no. Really? No. But uh, here's something I did, though. I had this girlfriend a few years after high school, and the Jazz Butcher came to San Francisco. And at the end of the show, he called up, he called out Alex Green to play saxophone with him. And I turned to my girlfriend and I said, he goes, I want to welcome Alex Green. I turned to my girlfriend and I said, I'll be right back. <laughs> but it wasn't me i wasn't sure how far to take that joke i started walking and then i had to stop but um yeah yeah no i let that guy's like one of my like favorite guys yeah absolutely wow it's so funny i know well you've obviously interacted with um, i saw your list of like playing with bob mould or we were promised jetpacks or joy formidable has everyone been really pleasant have you found that most people are pretty kind honestly everyone you just mentioned has been super nice so um like Bob, like I didn't expect Bob Mould as well he like came and chatted and said like he was really pleased with playing and stuff like that just super polite like and they don't have to you know everyone's got better things to do and yeah the guys in Joy Formidable were really really lovely as well um super funny um yeah, like honestly, I, I've been very lucky because I think it would be really hard to play with someone you admire and then for them to be a knobhead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's happened. I remember I interviewed a band. I, I won't say who it is, but I interviewed them and I was a huge fan of their of their work. I had like all 10 of their albums and I did the interview and they were particularly vile to oh, me. No. Right? And I no. And this, is, this rarely happens. And I hung up the phone and I went and I looked at their CDs and I went, what am I going to do with these things now? <laughs> I don't want these anymore. Oh, that's such a shame. I know. I know. But generally, I'd say like 99% of everyone I've talked to um, has just been the sweetest. That's good. I think people no? are generally, people are generally good. And you might catch them on an off day or maybe you'll catch them on an off year where they're just not behaving themselves. And that like maybe another year, that would be great. Right. Have you felt that you have had to, or that you have, like, your evolution as an artist, do you feel in the last year or two that you have just made a big leap creatively? Um, yeah, maybe, yeah, definitely, I guess. I think um, it's weird because I, I was just used to just trying to do everything just you know i play on my own usually i don't really play with a band um but i'd written this bunch of songs and i felt like it needed to be with a band on record it didn't feel they didn't feel as um as sparse or as paired back as some of the other stuff i'd written before um and i kind of just like really wanted to explore that anyway for once because i'd never really done it before i'd always just played on my own and played quite like sad slow stuff <laughs> and to be fair like the, a lot of the album is still that but it's I, i'm really pleased that we were able to make it a bit more epic and a bit more sort of um textured um there's just three of us like me and the bassist and the drummer and I played all the other, other than bass and drums, I played all the other instruments, but um, I'm, yeah, I think uh, it's a bit of a leap from the EP I did, which was just piano, me and piano and I recorded it live. Um, yeah, I think that things have shifted a little bit and probably the next thing I do will be 
slightly different to this i think because i've already written a bunch of it and it's slightly different um so i think it's just fun to explore like what you're capable of as yeah. an artist. i'm not saying it's like radiohead and i'm like pushing <laughs> some crazy boundaries or anything to be fair but just exploring like the sort of shades of what you do is quite fun you your your attack has always reminded me a little bit uh, somewhere between like Billy Bragg and and Courtney Barnett. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, I like how it, you just where it's sort of like just you, especially the early days of of Billy Bragg, where he would just kind of come out there by himself. Um, yeah. And I've seen Courtney play, and, and there's some similarities between. I was trying to describe you to a friend of mine, um, and I, I don't know why I went with those two, but I did. Um, did you feel a particular vulnerability uh, at the beginning where it's sort of just you on the stage and you can't, you're not relying on a band? Was that, was that a vulnerable choice for you or did it feel the most natural? Yeah, honestly, I'd say it felt the most natural, although there is a huge vulnerability to it. I think that for me, I feel more nervous playing with a band. Like I'm, I feel like when I'm on my own, I can kind of, it feels more fluid and it feels like it can change and like I can adapt depending on the environment. And sometimes when you play with a band, that's just not true. You know, you're kind of locked into what you've, the three of you have rehearsed. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so I think that I prefer playing solo for lots, for those reasons. And I, I, I like to feel vulnerable, I think in a way, or I like to like express vulnerability. And sometimes that can be difficult when um, you're with a band, but at the same time, playing with a band, band and the, when, especially when it's the right venue and the right crowd and everything, it can be way more fun. <laughs> like a lot more fun, especially yeah. to like, have sort of buddies on stage to enjoy it with. It's something I've never really known. I've always played on my own pretty much. Do you see fleshing it out to a sort of, um with a fuller band? Is that something that you can sort of see happening down the road? Yeah, I mean, we were gonna do a full band tour around the album. Um, <clears throat> hopefully that'll still happen at some point once everything's back to normal. Um, so yeah, definitely. And when I did a little tour just before things went crazy um, and had, and I was on tour with a friend and he played a few tunes on um, during my set. And I really enjoyed it, and it felt like a whole the, that whole part of the set just was a, like lifted by this extra guitar and extra voice and stuff. And definitely, like I feel like it it gives some um, like a di yeah a different texture to your set. What if you can have that come in and out and be, it be a little bit more fluid and have musicians join and then not join or whatever? That's wicked. But I guess it's sometimes a little bit impractical. But <laughs> yeah, but it's way more fun, I think, sometimes, um, especially just to hear a difference, like to hear hear the song so different live when it's with someone else and you've figured out like a different way of playing it. Um, it can be quite special sometimes. And then other times what feels special is just you um, playing on your own, you know, in certain moments. It's just, I guess it's just one, some, you know, it's both really. But yeah, hopefully we'll have, we'll have the full band talk back and maybe end of the year if things are, if things recover. 
when you are writing, what, what is the easiest part of writing for you and what is the hardest? Was, um, the easiest part for me often is probably coming up with the vocal melody. I'd, I'd, I've always found that not, I mean, not easy, easy, but just a thing that comes more, nat comes quite naturally and more naturally than I don't know. It kind of depends because sometimes I find lyrics super, super hard and I know what I want to say and I'm just not getting it right and I get frustrated with myself. And then other times the lyrics will just fall out and they'll be exactly what I wanted to say and that'll be the easiest part of writing the song and maybe the melody was a bit more challenging that time. But, you know, you got there in the end. Um, it kind of changes, but I think generally I've... I've, I've I really love writing melodies. Um, so I, I'm not sure easy is the right word, but it certainly is the part I really enjoy. And then probably the hardest thing, yeah, might be lyrics sometimes. And sometimes it's playing a guitar part that's different to the other songs I play. And I'm trying to like make it a little bit different or like I'm trying to think in a different rhythm or get out of a, you know a certain box of playing a certain way because i'm a, quite a limited guitarist I've, i never had lessons i play upside down i taught myself of kind of don't you know i think in many ways that's it, it helps helps me to come up with stuff that i might not have thought of if i was really really well trained and good but at the same time i think being really well trained would definitely help me out quite a lot sometimes as well. Right. Well, so yeah, it depends. Explain what you mean, but you play upside down. I play a right-handed guitar the, the wrong way around. So I play it left-handed. Oh, I see <clears throat> that. Wow. That's a really, so that is just basically because you taught yourself that way. Yeah, exactly. I just taught myself it like that like that <laughs> I, I wonder what would have happened to you if you had let's just say you'd had lessons and you and you were holding it the correct way not i shouldn't say the correct way but the traditional way yeah um how do you think that would have changed the sound or, or is it even oh, possible yeah. to know that i'd probably be a lot better <laughs> 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 i would probably be really famous <laughs> And, that's, <laughs> and you can't, like, that's not something you can sort of, I mean, I've seen that in other, like in sports or where someone teaches themselves and they become very proficient, but then you can't, un you can't deprogram that. that. That's just how you are now. Yeah, I can't do it the other way. I've tried so many times. <laughs> it's just never going to be, for, I'm never going to be a good guitarist. I'm always going to play the wrong way around and get things upside down. Are you someone who considers yourself to be an introvert? Um, I kind of, I think I straddle a line, like it depends. I think some, sometimes I'm really introvert and especially in situations that make me nervous, I think I can be very, um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll find it hard to find the words and stuff like that, but and other other times I've, i feel the opposite and maybe, maybe when i'm feeling comfortable with friends or something i 
feel quite extrovert. <coughs> but um, I'm not as introvert as some probably, but I'm probably not as, um, and I'm not as extrovert as some either. <laughs> so I right. guess I just straddle the line. I don't know. It's very interesting to me that somebody who is introverted, even in a, even a small way, um, says, all right, well, here's what I'll do. I will go on stage by myself and sing to strangers. I know. It's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> right. So weird. It is. It is. If you think about it, it, and everyone I've talked to who is a musician, they, they all say what you say. They, they all, you know, mostly more are introverted than you're, than you're saying you are. But, um, and I always mm. sort of say, like, it's interesting you've gone into the profession where you are exposed and you are so vulnerable. Yeah. Um, have you ever tried to unpack that and think about how how ironic that is? Yeah, I think I ha I have thought about that before because, my, like, my mum will always joke about how nervous I am at certain things, or like, um, if I, I when I first started working in a, like an office when I was really young and like doing admin assistant work and stuff she would laugh because I, I, I couldn't ring somebody like to ring somebody in a professional sense would just make me want to die um like I, I hated speaking to people on the phone um and I hated speaking in like to to uh people in positions of authority and I'd just go bright red and like I just couldn't do it and she thought that was so weird because I can get up on stage and sing to people and, and talk to an audience and she, she was saying what you're saying like how can you do that and not that because she thinks the other one's much easier I, I don't know what the answer is to be honest with you I think it's because um to play music to a group of people it feels like a community thing it feels like you're all it feels like you're playing a part in something bigger than you and it's not really about you it's more about like um a shared experience of something i suppose and it can feel a bit daunting obviously when you're like t talking singing about your most deepest fears and insecurities and emotions and things but i kind of have a weird separation from it like i wrote the song and there it is and I'm presenting it to you and I, I try and like I kind of forget almost what it's what I'm saying <laughs> right right you disappear into the art yeah and I think that's probably what makes it easier and it's and I don't feel I think sometimes like when you're the difference between like being in like a a meeting or something with like where you have to talk and you can you can have this like imposter syndrome like oh, I'm not I'm not clever enough to to be here you know or not I, you know something like that whereas I feel like with music that it doesn't really exist because there's no such thing you're like you're just you're just playing like and people can like it or they don't have to like it it's, it's like whatever you know what I mean yeah have you have you heard from people who have been really personally affected by your music and what how does that affect you yeah i have um um it i mean i kind of like i really like it <laughs> yeah for well, sure um, there was a, a woman that messaged me around christmas time um and she told me she'd been having a really hard 
time and she was going through a divorce and like she was on her own at Christmas and she wasn't going to see her kids and stuff and I was really sad for her but she was like um saying like oh your, your, your music's really helped me and I have a Christmas song and she was she'd done like a cover up she she can't she was she'd never played guitar or anything in her life and she'd like worked out this cover of it and she sent it to me and it made me cry I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard and she, her voice was so lovely and um there was so much emotion in what she was doing like it didn't matter that she could barely play or anything like she was just like it was incredible it was better than mine <laughs> it was amazing <laughs> she just nailed it like what she was trying to emote emote sorry I should probably start pronouncing my t's when I'm speaking to people she was just emoting really well and like obviously she had a lot to put into it and it, yeah I thought it was incredible and I was really pleased to share that with her yeah and you you realize that the the art that you're making it it hits people and it is powerful and important to them um does that make you sort of I mean, I would, yeah, like you were saying, of course you feel amazing, but does it also make you feel, oh, my, my job, I have a lot more responsibility than I thought, because it's not just about me, because people are receiving what I'm creating, and it's saying something to them about their lives. Yeah, I suppose. I've never really thought about it like that, about having a responsibility. I think I've just sort of thought about it more of as like an exorcism of what I'm trying to, what I feel, and then sort of presenting that to people and seeing if they get it, like if they felt that way as well, or if they can take anything from it. Maybe it's not lyrically, maybe it's like just something else in the song that resonates with them. Um, but yeah, I've never really thought about, about it as being like a responsibility, I suppose. I think I just... I mean, I probably should. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I kind of feel, I mean, part of me wants to say yes and part of me wants to say no because, mm. you know, you're creating it and how people take it is kind of up to them. Um, yeah. That, that is not your responsibility. But, and it's not like you're, you know, not going to write something, obviously, that's reckless. And it, even if you did, um, that that's a metaphor, that's an expression you're not urging anyone to do anything or, or purporting, you know, purporting to be able to guide people. You're just, like you said, it's an exorcism. It's a, it's a translation of a feeling or a series yeah. of feelings, right? So, so part of me thinks like, I suppose that there's a responsibility, but I also think that it's not, has nothing to do with you, how they receive your work. It's tricky. Yeah. It's a bit like Marilyn Manson on Bowling for Columbine or something, isn't it? Right, like right. Like that, the argument of oh, that everyone blamed him for the, the shooting or something. Right. Listen to him. But he, he didn't tell them to go and shoot everyone. <laughs> no. No. And also, there's also the chance that someone can misinterpret one of your songs. And then how is that your fault? You know, it's like, so I don't know. I just, I just know that your, I think your only responsibility is to be kind to your fans, which I, which yeah. you are, and to be kind to everybody else. And I mean, I think that's about it. The, you, the art itself is, it does its own thing. And I, and I don't yeah. think that it's, that it's up to you to, um, to be thinking about, oh, I hope I can del deliver this to people in a way that will, they'll receive it well. 
I don't think that's yeah. your that's job. I think art would probably suffer if everyone thought that. Like, I would, I would suffer if uh, we didn't have Marilyn Manson in the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, just because he's written some bangers, but <laughs> I think, um, or like Slipknot or something. Like, I, I'm trying to think what I mean, but I'm, I, I, I think you're right. I think that um, art would suffer if people couldn't just express themselves freely. I suppose um and you know it, it yeah it depends on who receives it and how they receive it i suppose yeah i mean like if you're watching a, a movie about you know a, a serial killer or about something disturbing i don't think the filmmaker is that worried about no know, right yeah so i think musicians it's it's very similar as well um yeah i think you definitely. know art art does its own thing um yeah. you I'm hope so. I'm hoping, obviously, that this pandemic passes and your album can come out in and uh, to a world that is not thinking about mortality all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I hope that you can have a very fruitful and profitable summer. Um, Thank you. You know, I I'm so grateful that you took the time to chat with me. And um, yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed having a chat. It's nice to chat to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Anybody. I know. It's funny. I'm here in sunny California. You're out in Northampton, and we're both sheltering in place. We're both experiencing the same kind of isolation drill. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's weirdly uniting, actually. Like the all the whole world is kind of in this same boat. Yeah. Yeah yeah like you know exactly what i'm going through i know what you're going yeah. through and it, there's a shared experience and that does kind of bring about a kind of comfort yeah i kind of, i guess it does that's that's what i was sort of trying to say earlier it's like we're all kind of in the same boat so we might as well try not to worry too much because you know what at the end of the day if it ends up like planet of the apes then fine it's fine by me it's a good film <laughs> <laughs> It is a great film. There is a part of me that does worry that like, especially in the US where they're sort of opening up states again and easing restrictions. And I'm a little concerned it's too cavalier and it really? could go yeah. Planet of the Apes, but who fucking knows? But um, <laughs> I, Katie, I'm so grateful. Thank you for doing this at such last minute. And thank you for being so generous with your time. I've, I've loved our chat. Thank you. No, it was really nice to speak to you. Thank you so much for asking me to do it. Well, that's Katie Malko, ladies and gentlemen. I love her. Her album is amazing. Do you have it? You don't? Go get it. Go get it. Go to her Bandcamp page, katiemalko.bandcamp.com. Malko with a C-O, um, not like Malkovich with a K. It's uh, Malko with a C. Um, go get that album. It's, uh, it's for me, uh, in my constant rotation of albums, it's the one I'm listening to the most right now. Uh, it's called Failures, and it is Outstanding. Go to my website, alexgreenonline.com. Find out what's going on with me. Um, yeah, I wrote a book. We talked about it at the beginning. I feel sheepish about pushing it. So uh, if you're into books and you're into mysteries, go seek it out. Malro, 
and the Midnight Oregon Fight. It is a young adult novel, and uh, I'm doing a soft opening on it. I've decided that uh, we're going to take that approach. It's a sensitive time right now. We have to pay attention to what's going on culturally. So if reading is your refuge and you need to take refuge from uh, all the stuff that's going on, uh, I'd love it if you read my book. But I certainly understand uh, if you've got other things on your mind right now. I do too. Uh, I get it. So hopefully uh, we will come out of this smarter, gentler, more peaceful, and kinder to each other. Uh, all right. Thank you, as always, for your support of the program. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, tell a friend, leave a rating, maybe a nice comment. Uh, any order uh, of all the things I just mentioned uh, will do. There is no there is no protocol. You can rate. You can leave a, a nice comment. You can tell a friend or start with the telling of the friend, then go to the rating. It makes no difference. Whatever whatever suits you. All right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Embers Editor or on Instagram at Embers Podcast. You can email me at editor at stereoembersmagazine.com. Let's close the show with the full version of the song Brooklyn from Katie Malko's Failures album. Uh, we played it at the top of the show and uh, we just played a bit of it. So let's play the whole thing, shall we? All right. Thank you again for listening and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast, only on Bombshell Radio.